So uh, I got asked to continue the DNA series um, that we've been in, talking about who we are as a church, and I'm asked to talk about discipleship because that's actually the ministry area that I oversee. So, um, and honestly, the last couple of weeks that I've been preparing for this has been really difficult for me to prepare for this talk because, um, well, for a couple of reasons, but one is because I really believe this stuff is important. And it has to be who we are as a church. And then, so in that, there's all kinds of things that I want to say. And I don't think I have time to say everything that I want to say. And then there's some things I want to say that I probably shouldn't say. And then, um, and then there's some things as I've been preparing, I'm thinking, yes, we need to talk about that. And then I have to say, oh, but I'm not actually doing that very well. <laughs> um, and so throughout my life, and this would be true of each one of us personally, individually, but also with us as a church, that there are going to be seasons where we're, where we're doing really well at certain aspects of what we're called to do by being followers of Jesus. And there's going to be seasons where we wish we were doing better. And so it's kind of like one of these things that's you know, we're always on a trajectory of trying to be better and seeing consistent progression, but sometimes we could definitely point out things that we could do better at. So um, as I talk through this stuff, know that some of the time I'm preaching more to myself than to you all, And but in reality it's all true, and it's all stuff that we need to like grab hold of. So I don't know if that's kind of my disclaimer at the beginning. <laughs> so um, let's just start off by, why don't you stand up and we're going to read uh, this section of scripture. This is Matthew 28. Um, in your Bible, if you open your Bible, it probably says the Great Commission above it because that's the heading that um, almost all Bible translators have given this section of scripture. So, uh, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, you can go ahead and sit down. I want to kind of just go through this passage a little bit um, and see what Jesus said about discipleship and then kind of make some practical applications for us. So the first thing, as I said, like this is called the Great Commission. And last week Gabe taught on the greatest commandment, which is loving God and loving others. And a big section of this scripture feels like a commandment, but yet we call it the commission. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because of what Jesus, when he first started talking to these guys, the first thing that he said to them is he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. So he's establishing the fact that he has authority that's been given to him by the Father. And now he, because of that authority, he's sending these guys to go do the same thing. Um, and uh, that's what a commission is. If you look at the dictionary for the definition of commission, there's basically five things that a commission is. And I think actually all five of these things are what Jesus is doing in this piece in this piece of scripture. So a commission is an authorization or a command to act in a prescribed manner or to perform prescribed acts. Jesus was doing that. It's also the authority to act for or on behalf of or in place of another person, which Jesus was giving the disciples authority. Um, it's a task or matter entrusted to one as an agent for another group, or it's a group of persons directed to perform some duty, or it's the act, the actual act of entrusting or giving authority. So that's what's happening actually in this passage. Jesus has authority to do something, and he's 
commissioning or handing that authority off to the 11 disciples who he called previously and who had followed him around for the last three years. And he's teaching them and calling them to go do and continue doing what he started doing. Um, so I think that's really important to notice that uh, what Jesus is asking them to do, he's giving them the authority to do. And then before we jump into what he's actually asking them to do, I want to look at what he says in closing this section. He says to them, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he starts off with saying, I have authority and I'm giving you authority. And then he says at the end, he's like, and I'm going to be with you forever. Um, and I think there's two things that he's trying to communicate with that last statement. One is, your discipleship journey with me doesn't end today when I ascend to the Father. Like, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep walking with you. I'm going to keep teaching you new things. I'm going to keep instructing you. Like, you have a lifetime of discipleship ahead of you. And I'm going to be with you teaching you. And then the other thing he's saying in this is um, similar to that, but it's more like uh, I'm not sending you out on your own. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you through this. I'm, I'm not only going to continue teaching you, I'm going to actually empower you and help you do this. You know, he's like, uh, I'm committed to seeing you through in this. I'm committed to seeing you be successful in this. And we know that, um, actually in the book of Acts, shortly after Jesus has this conversation with them, that he tells them to go back and to wait for the Holy Spirit. And we know that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to fill the guys, not to just be with them, but to live inside of them. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit continues to instruct us and disciple us, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what Jesus has asked us to do. Um, And so everything I'm about to say about discipleship, we have to realize that one, we're sent to do this under Jesus's authority. So he's telling us to do it and then he's empowering us to do it and he's going to be with us to do it. So you can want to be a good discipler, but you'll never do it if you don't do it with Jesus's help (laughs) being filled with the spirit. So that's the starting point, right? So what does Jesus ask them to go do? He tells them to go and make disciples. Um, and an actual literal translation of the word, it's actually a verb that's used, that's translated in most things, make disciples. Um, and a more literal translation of that would basically just be for, you'd say, therefore, disciple. Um, and that word actually has two meanings simultaneously. It means to be a disciple, so to be following someone, in this case following Jesus, and to be making disciples or to be helping others follow Jesus too. Like it, mean, it doesn't mean just one or the other. It actually means both of those things simultaneously. So anytime that you see the word disciple or make disciples or any of those phrases in, in Scripture, that's what it's actually saying. It's making the assumption that not only are you a follower of Jesus, but you're also helping other people follow Jesus. Um, and that's what I mean. That's what we have on our wall out here in the entry, right? We're here to help others love and obey Jesus. I mean, that's what we are about as a church: is to make disciples or to be disciples simultaneously. We're doing both of those things. Um, it's. I think it's important for us to understand that that um, it's not just about what we're going and doing. It's about the thing that Jesus is doing in us at the same time, right? And and disciples are people who have been called and then accept the calling and then follow, right? So um, we could I could spend the rest of our time together talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We could actually probably talk about that forever because it's a lifetime journey. Like none of us will ever be perfect disciples of Jesus. Um 
we can always be committed to consistent progression, but we're never going to like fully reach that. Even in heaven, I think we're going to be like Jesus, but there's always going to be something new to learn about what it means to be following Jesus. Um, and so there's this lifetime commitment to following Jesus, um, and that's why we, as a church, corporately offer structures to help people be discipled. So we offer things like Sunday morning teaching. Like I get up here, or Jaron or Tim or somebody gets up here and teaches you something, and there's discipleship happening in that moment. Um, right now, there's people discipling kids in these two rooms. Um, these kids are being taught to love and obey Jesus. Um, later this afternoon, Chris is going to gather with his team and gather with the youth group kids, and they're going to disciple the youth, the teenagers. Um, we, we're starting this thing in the fall called the Academy where we're going to be teaching through the Bible. We're going to be teaching through doctrine and we're going to be doing some teaching. And that's a context where you can be discipled. Um, and then there's other things that we do, you know, like internships and we want to do men's and women's events and leadership development stuff like that's all discipleship. But the thing with that is it's all structures that we as a church can put in place, but none of those things actually work if you don't have individuals. <laughs> we need people. Um, and so that's what the Great Commission is all about. It's not about churches creating structures. It's about people loving and obeying Jesus and helping others love and obey Jesus. Um, there's a, a ton of books out there on discipleship. Um, there's, I've read some of them. Some of them I haven't bothered reading. You read like the back cover and you're like, nope, not going to do that. You know, like, um, and there's all these church discipleship books out there that some of them are based on the Bible, which is great. And some of them are based on like the corporate and business world. Like, hey, here's what worked with Procter and Gamble. So this is how you should like raise up leaders in your church. And it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, why, why are we doing that? Um, and there's also this idea that kind of comes along that then the disciples, are like part of a tiered system of maturity. So you have baby Christians, right, the new converts, and then when they understand enough about what it means to be a Christian, then they become a disciple. And then if you're, if you're really good and you become a super Christian, you can become a disciple maker, right? Um, but that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says that we're all disciples, so simultaneously we are learning and growing and we're helping others learn and grow, right? Um, so it's not a tiered system. Um, discipleship can't just be left up to the professionals. In fact, if we look at how the early church looked at discipleship or even used the word disciple, we would see that it refers to everyone who has decided to follow Jesus. Um, in Acts 11, uh, verse 26, it says, For a whole year they met with the church and taught and taught a great many people. And then in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So there's no distinction here. Like anybody who was following Jesus was a disciple. And so what we would refer to as a Christian would be a disciple, which by definition is someone who's following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. Um, Paul kind of expounds on this in 2 Timothy when he's giving Timothy instructions about how to go and lead the churches. And he's in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 12, Two, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So I don't know if you notice this, but there's actually four generations of disciples there. There's Paul, who's teaching and talking to Timothy. Then there's Timothy, who's Paul's spiritual son. And then there's faithful men. And then there's the others. So 
It's this model of, here's Paul teaching Timothy how to teach other guys, how to teach other people, how to teach other people, how to love Jesus, right? And that's how the gospel spread from Jerusalem throughout all the world in the first century and is still spreading today is through this model of disciples discipling other disciples to disciple. Um, that's how, that's how it works. That's the biblical model is that we should share our faith and help other people love and obey Jesus. So I thought, so in one of these discipleship books I read, there was this pyramid scheme thing, kind of like Amway, but it was for Christians. And, uh, right? And so I made up a spreadsheet. I was like, okay, let's see how this actually plays out, right? So here's, I made up a spreadsheet. Here's a chart of what I came up with. So if one person, like say, drawn were to decide to disciple two people i just picked this one because he's talking about his age and i want to use that right so if drawn were to disciple two people every year and teach those two people to disciple two more people every year and they just continued that trend right so drawn said that he's going to retire in 30 years so before he retires he could reach more than the population of the entire world if he was the only one doing it, like if he started it and we just continued, right? But actually, if just one of us were to decide to do this, to disciple two people, to teach those two people to disciple two more people and on and on, right? In 12 years, we could actually disciple the entire population of Jasper Newton County. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Um, there's a lot of factors at play here. I mean, like I realize that not all disciples come all the way through. Like even Jesus, all of his disciples didn't like come through to maturity, right? So I played around with this and I didn't make a chart to show you, but just so you know, like I did one where I just said, what if 50% of the disciples just decide to like drop out and don't continue to make disciples? Um, even in that scenario, like by year 25, we can still disciple the entire world. Like even if like half the people, because Math is amazing, right? So multiplication, like, <laughs> multiplication is better than addition any day, right? And so, um, I mean, you ask an accountant, they'll tell you the same thing if you're going to invest your money, right? Um, so, I'm not suggesting that we, like, get sold on, like, focusing on numbers and, like, being, you know, set on this deal. But the reality is, like, if even just one of us were to say, okay, I'm going to be really serious about discipleship, like, we could make a huge impact for the kingdom in a very short time. Um, so that's just kind of like one of those side note things. I thought, oh, this is fun. I'm going to talk about this, right? But um, So we got to look at what does it actually mean to make a disciple? And I think Jesus shows us in the Great Commission two pillars that he builds discipleship on. One is baptizing, and two is teaching. And so I want to talk a little bit about baptizing first. And that would be what we would equate with evangelism which is sharing our faith, bringing new people into um, following Jesus. And uh, John Piper, he has he really simplified discipleship with this quote. Um, he says, people need to become Christians, and then people need to be taught how to think and feel and act as Christians. That's a disciple. So that's basically what we're doing. So first of all, evangelism, we need to make sure that people are becoming Christians. And then secondly, we need to help people think, act, and feel like Christians. Um, so... Evangelism is one of those things that's kind of hard to talk about a little bit because I wish there was a way I could say, here's how you do it, okay? Here's the, here's the system. <laughs> um, but there's not because there's unlimited ways in which someone can hear the good news of Jesus, right? And so therefore there are unlimited ways in which that can be done. Um, and it's unique to each individual and it's unique to each one of us how we're going to evangelize. Um, I spent a good portion of my adult life, the first part of my adult life, like just traveling around and preaching the gospel. 
um, from city to city. We'd preach the gospel, and then we'd go to the next city, and we'd preach the gospel. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But... Um, but that might not be how someone else does it, you know. But what I am very confident of is if we're going to continue the work that Jesus started while he was here, then going out and seeking and saving the lost is has to be part of it. Because in Luke, Jesus says, the Son of Man, which is himself, came to seek and save the lost. We have to be going out and like finding people. I would love for this to be a church where the baptistry was like a permanent fixture on the stage because we were baptizing so many people. And I think you all would agree with that. I, the band might not agree with that. They, but, um, uh, and sometimes I think that like one of the biggest hangups when I talk to people about evangelism and is like this idea that people don't want to be that guy or that woman who's like, preaching at everyone or shoving something down people's throats like we live in a society where it's increasingly becoming the right thing to do to keep your ideas to yourself and respect everybody else's ideas whether they're right or wrong right and um something that really impacted me when i was thinking about this years ago is i i saw this video on youtube of um pen from pen and teller the illusionists you know in las vegas um and Penn was talking about, and at the time, and I think this is still true of him, like he was a very outspoken atheist, hated God, hated Christians. Um, but he told this story about how after one of their shows, they were out meeting people, and people were coming up and, you know, coming and talking to him. And a guy came up to him and offered, a, offered him a Bible. And he says, you know, this guy says to Penn, he's like, I don't usually do this, but I feel like God's told me I should give you this Bible because... Jesus has changed my life and made a difference in my life. And the truth in this Bible is life-changing and, like, it's real. And I think that God wants to change your life. And he gave it to him. And so then Penn, like, is commenting on this. And he says, you know, I usually don't like people proselytizing. I don't like people preaching at me. But he's like, I respected that guy because he had convictions that this was actually something that mattered eternally. And so he came and he shared this with me because, not because he wanted to share his beliefs with me, but because he actually cared about me as a person and was worried about my eternity. And he's like, I don't believe it, but I still respect the guy because he like went out of his way. And he's like, he's like, the thing that he said he saw in Christians was that if Christians really believe this, then how come everybody who claimed to follow Jesus wasn't coming up and telling him this? You know, he's like, if I was, you know, and then he said, if I was walking down the street and a bus was about ready to hit me and I didn't know it, once you push me out of the way. So, like, if you really believe that people who don't follow Jesus are destined to life in hell or eternity in hell, then why are we not doing something about it? So, anyway, that's a heavy topic, right? Like, um, I want to see people come to know Jesus. But like I said, it's not just about evangelism, right? So we have to be looking for opportunities to share Jesus with others. That's part of discipleship. Um, when I was out doing my evangelism thing. I used to ride a, like a little kid's bike, like BMX bike, do tricks on ramps, um, X Games kind of stuff. And we would travel around and do these shows in church parking lots. And then people would come, they'd want to watch us fall down and hurt ourselves. And then we could preach the gospel to them. <laughs> right? That's, that's why everybody came. They wanted to see somebody get hurt. Um, that's why people watch NASCAR. I mean, come on, that's about the rest. So anyway... <laughs> In doing that, we got connected up with some organizations like the Luis Palau Association and the Billy Graham Association. So we were doing some pretty big festivals and stuff. And one of those festivals that we did was something that Stephen Baldwin, the actor, um, he got saved through a pretty miraculous story. Like, I'll tell you it sometime if you want to hear it. Come ask me about it. But um, he got saved and got really excited about Jesus and really excited about skateboarding and BMX stuff. And so he thought, 
I want to do a thing where I, we go and we tell everybody about Jesus. Well, at least all the skateboarders and BMXers, right? Um, and so we were part of that team that would go around from church to church and we'd set up in a parking lot and like, you know, consistently in each city we'd go to, there'd be like five or six thousand people that'd show up in the parking lot. And then one or two of us would preach the gospel and then we'd invite kids to come forward and say, okay, if you want to follow Jesus, come forward and we'll pray with you and we'll give you this little book and, you know, you'll be a, you'll be a Christian. So we did that and um, did that a lot. I mean, we did quite a few cities. And then, so this is kind of the beginning of the end for me on this, though, was that we did an event in, and I don't remember the order. It was either Omaha or Lincoln, Nebraska. And so Omaha and Lincoln are like an hour apart from each other. So we were in one of those cities, and we did the whole thing. You know, we did the stunts, and then we preached, and then a bunch of kids came forward. And I prayed with this group of like five guys. And I was like, all right, you know, here's what you're, you know, you're deciding to follow Jesus. This means everything has to change, and, you know. And here's this little book. Read this little book. And somebody from one of the local churches will call you and get you involved in the church. And, you know, it'll be great. And then we packed up and we left. And then about a month later or so, we went to the other city. I don't remember which one it was. but So we're like an hour away. And we do the whole thing again. And then we do the invitation. And I start seeing all these people come forward. And I see the same five kids coming forward. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what is happening? So I go over and I talk to them and they're like, Hey, you know, and they're all excited to see me and they remembered me. And I start talking. I'm like, you guys like prayed this prayer and did this whole thing like four weeks ago. Why are you coming forward? They're like, well, we didn't, we didn't really feel any different and nobody called us. So we thought we probably had to do it again. And I was just like, oh no, like, is this what we've been doing for the last, you know, two years is like leaving, you know, and I, I'm confident in this. Okay. We preached the gospel, the Holy Spirit moved in people's hearts and they came to know Jesus. Right. So that story of what happened with those kids is not what happened with everyone who came to one of those meetings. But what it did underline for me is that Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them, tell them about Jesus and then teach them to obey all that I have to have, you know, so like not all teaching is the same. Some teaching is just teaching and some teaching actually results in life change, which is what Jesus is talking about. He says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. So the teaching Jesus is talking about results in life change. And I think that, um, I stumbled across this other story from back in history, right? So George Whitfield and John Wesley. George Whitfield was a great preacher. Like people would come from all over and want to hear him preach. God used him in a powerful way to like change people's lives because he preached the gospel and, and people like came to accept Jesus. John Wesley and George Whitfield were actually friends. John Wesley, not as many people knew about at the time, but today we know that like he's actually like the founder of what is known as the Methodist Church. And because what John Wesley would do, he would go and he'd find a small group of men and men or women and he'd He'd disciple them. He'd teach them how to study scripture and how to pray, how to hold each other accountable. And then he'd teach them how to teach other people to do that. And he did that all over the place. And pretty soon, like, they had such a method to how they did it. It was so, like, methodical that that's how they started to be called the Methodists, um, right? But George Whitfield was a preacher. And they were lived at the same time, interacted with a lot of the same people. And I found this quote from Benjamin Franklin that just proves that not all teaching is actually profitable. So Ben Franklin, he's talking about George Whitfield here. So after going and hearing George Whitfield preach, this is what Ben Franklin says. He said, every accent, every emphasis, every modulation of voice was so perfectly well-tuned and well-placed that without being interested in the subject, one could not help being pleased with the discourse, a pleasure of which the same kind with that received by an excellent piece of music. So Ben Franklin heard George Whitfield preach, enjoyed it, but his life was not changed. It was just like, you know, hearing a good piece of music. And so that's what I want. I want to 
talk about teaching is massively important, but actually the fruit of the teaching is more important than how it's taught, right? So you all can be good teachers. You don't have to be eloquent speakers. You can be good teachers, though. Um, and right now in the culture we live in, like we are, we have access to so much teaching. Easily at the, at our fingertips, there's podcasts and there's YouTube videos and there's books and there's, I mean, there's people teaching on all kinds of things. I mean, you want to learn how to fix anything, you can just go on YouTube, right? But if you want to learn about theology, you can listen to unlimited number of podcasts or watch who knows how many YouTube videos or, right? And the problem with depending on those teachers to be your source of discipleship is that if there's no relationship, then you run the risk of getting led down the path. Because if it's just because they're a good, well, that guy's talk, that guy's convincing the way he's talking about that. Well, then it just takes somebody else who's more convincing or can talk better to like change your mind about something. Um, but when you're in a relationship with someone, you can see the fruit of what they're teaching. How, like, what is their life actually producing? Or, this happens here often, right? One of us, Tim or Jaron or myself, will preach, and then within a week or so, one of us will get a phone call saying, like, so this might happen this week, right? Someone will call Tim or Jaron or Lane, and they'll say, I think I heard Jeremiah say this one thing. I don't think I agree with it. It's not in the Bible. Like, can you please explain to me what he was talking about, right? I mean, that happens every once in a while because we'll say something, and then it'll be misunderstood, Right? And if you're not in a relationship with someone, you can't go and have those follow-up conversations. And it's so easy to get misled and like turned astray because without relationship, teaching is just words. And so I want to caution us that be careful about where you're going for your discipleship. Like, who are you allowing to disciple you? And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So relationship has to be key. Biblical discipleship requires relationship. And here's a few examples um, from the Bible that I found. And this is just like a very small list of an exhaustive list. But So here's, relationship is necessary. Uh, Paul teaches Timothy or Titus to have older women training younger women. Um, like in Timothy, we saw you can train others to train others to train others. Uh, fathers and mothers, parents, you should be training your kids. Like that's discipleship. Like don't discount that. If you're a parent and you're teaching your kids how to love and obey Jesus, you're making disciples. Um, you should be exhorting one another to avoid sin. So like as we confront one another about sin, we're discipling each other. Um, we should be stirring each other up to love and good works. Um, we can use our gifts to serve others, and we can explain the gospel more clearly to someone who doesn't fully understand it. Right? That, that's all discipleship. And there's way more examples in the Bible, but those are just a few, right? So be thinking about that. As we're talking about the discipleship, it all requires relationship. Like Those things don't work if you're not in relationship with someone. Um, so I don't know if you guys realize this, but you guys are all excellent disciple-makers. You all are doing it every day already. Did you know that? Believe it or not, you're all making disciples. And you're all being discipled by someone. The problem is that like lots of times we're all in this different discipleship groups. Like I'm probably in, I don't even know how many discipleship groups I'm in. I'm in a bunch. And, but very few of them are actually discipling me to love and obey Jesus. <laughs> right? Most of our discipleship groups are built around political beliefs or our favorite restaurant or, you know, 
favorite sports team or our favorite music or, you know, like there's unlimited number of things that we're being discipled into. And in that, as we're being discipled and discipling, like we will listen to the experts and we'll share what we learn from the experts on that topic. And we will try to convince other people to like, you know, like do what we think is right. And we might even hold each other accountable to the values of that that group, right? Um, we're doing all the things the disciples of Jesus should be doing for one another, but we're not discipling people into loving and obeying Jesus. So what I want to encourage you, Paul, is discipleship sounds like a big thing, like maybe really difficult, but it's not complicated at all because you're already doing it. You're, and you're doing a really good job of it. So all you have to do is just switch your focus to what you're discipling people into. I mean, it's that simple. We could all be really good disciplers of Jesus if we just like took all the things that we learned from the world and turn just one little thing like who are we pointing and what are we pointing people to. So I want to like look at four things really quick that Jesus discipled his guys into. And if we were to, I think if we follow this model, like we'll be effective in helping other people love and obey Jesus well. And we'll learn to love and obey Jesus better ourselves. So the first one is Jesus focused on prayer with his disciples. Um, he prayed. He showed them how to pray. He taught them how to pray. He modeled it for them. He told them to do it. I mean, he taught them the Lord's Prayer. And then even the night before he was crucified, he went to the garden. He said, I'm going to go pray. And I want you guys to stay here and pray. Right? They didn't do a very good job. They fell asleep more than praying. But he, you know, like, prayer was a key for what Jesus said. So, like, that's one thing for us. Like, prayer is huge. If you want to love and obey Jesus more and help others love and obey Jesus more, pray. (laughs) Pray. Pray with other people. Pray by yourself. Teach other people how to pray. If you're in a group of people who pray every morning, take somebody with you and go, you know, like, help them learn how to pray. Um... So pray. The other thing that Jesus was really focused on teaching his guys was to honor scripture. Jesus referred to Old Testament passages all the time when he was teaching and he taught his guys how to honor scripture. He also like even like after his resurrection and he's walking on the road with those two disciples and he showed them how the whole scripture was about him. And then we see that follow through through the early church like Peter and John and James and you know Paul, they all as they're teaching and sharing the story of Jesus, they always go back to the prophets and to, to the other scripture and to the law because they honored scripture, they saw its value, and they became students of the scripture. And that's what we have to do. If we're going to love and obey Jesus, we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to learn how to study the scripture, we have to love the scripture, we have to teach other people how to love the scripture and read the scripture. Um, so we have to be dedicated to prayer and to scripture. And then the other thing that Jesus did was he was dedicated to teaching his guys ministry. When I say ministry, I mean basically service. Um, He was consistently going out and serving others and serving them and then teaching them to serve. And that's really, I mean, Gabe preached on that extensively last week. That's a key piece of like our relationship with one another, our relationship with Jesus is to love one another, to serve one another. But not just that, like um, as a church, we should be serving each other. But as a church, we should also be serving the community. As we go out and we serve those who are far off from God, we're demonstrating something about the character of Jesus. But we're also doing, there's something that happens in our hearts and something that matures in us and grows in us. That we, When we go out and serve the community, we're actually becoming more and more like Jesus and we're becoming 
disciples of Jesus. So um, those three big things, and then it's all wrapped up in what I've already been talking about is relationship. Like, it has to be wrapped up in a relationship. Um, and that's what Jesus did. I mean, he spent significant time with these 11 or 12 guys. Um, and as we read through the the New Testament accounts of the early church, like it's very obvious that these people weren't just people who gathered together once in a while and hung out. Like they were family. They loved each other. They were in relationship with one another. They held each other accountable, and they could see the fruit of each other's life. Like so, relationship is key. Um, so prayer, scripture, service, and relationship. Like those are the four things that Jesus built his discipleship model on. And if we were to do that, if you're just commit and say, okay, I'm going to help someone else pray better, study scripture better, serve better, and, you know, deepen relationships with them in the context of relationship, like you would be making disciples, lasting disciples. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I think that I like to preach pieces of my sermons to people, like in the weeks as I'm preparing, just to see if it actually works. Um, you know, because sometimes you say stuff and then people are like, what are you talking? You know, like, um, there's a couple of analogies that I had that I've been told I shouldn't use, so you won't, you don't get to hear those because I've been told not to use them. But here's one thing that consistently happened as I was talking about discipleship. Like, almost every time I started talking about discipleship, the people I was talking to, like, their response, like, one of the first responses almost every time was, well, that sounds great. How do I find somebody to disciple me? Right? Like that was, and I'm like, that is a really good question. Like you should want to be discipled. That's admirable. You should desire that. But that's actually the wrong question to start with. Cause Jesus isn't, doesn't talk about who's going to disciple you. He's saying go and make disciples. So the, 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 the definition of a disciple is someone who is following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. So if we're really disciples, like the, the first question we should ask when you hear something like this is not who's going to disciple me, but who can I go disciple? And the reason why I say that, like, I think this is massively important is like, if you've ever taught anybody anything, like, if you, you will know that as a teacher, you learn more than the students, right? So people who teach school, they have learned more teaching those students than those students will ever know. Parents who homeschool, like I, my wife homeschools, and I know that she has learned more preparing to teach our kids than she would have ever imagined, you know? Um, and so when we, in faith, step out and don't say, well, I can't disciple until somebody disciples me. Like if we just, in faith, say, okay, I'm following Jesus, and I'm going to invite people to follow Jesus as I follow him. And you step out in faith and say, okay, well, you know, can I disciple you? The Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will mature you. And the, actually the act of doing it will be far more beneficial than anyone sitting down with you for breakfast every morning or you know, once a week and saying, okay, here's how you do it. Yeah, here's, you know, like instruction is one thing, but actually going on doing it and then leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit and the instruction of Jesus is going to be far more formative for you. So don't wait till somebody disciples you. Just go do it. Do it. All right. Um, so here's a few next steps. Um, if you want something to do. Okay. One thing you can do is you can sign up for the academy. So the first um, session of the academy that we're doing starts this fall in just a couple weeks. Your digital bulletin, and there's a link that you can use to register for that. If you don't register for the class, you can't actually come. So if you want to come, you got to register. Okay. So, but we're going to go through the Bible as the story of God. Like, we're going to help 
you, if you take this class, you're going to understand how the whole Bible is about God and about his redemptive plan and how it all ties together. So maybe like the thing that's holding you up, like you don't want to go disciple people because you don't feel like you understand scripture well enough. Well, here's an opportunity. Okay. Um, come and learn about scripture. And then it'll give you things that you can actually go and share with other people. So that's step one. Another one, uh, volunteer to work with children or youth. I mean, Mary is oversees our children's ministry and Chris oversees our youth ministry. They both could use more volunteers to help. And here's the, the cool thing about this is like the, um, kids ministry and children's ministry are structures that we have in place. And it's like a, do it yourself, already packaged up everything you need to do, discipleship package, right? So you show up, all you have to do is show up in that room every Sunday morning, and the kids will come to you. You don't even have to go find them. They just, you saw them, right? They just sprint to the door, right? And then earlier in the week, someone's already given you a lesson plan and said, here's what you teach the kids. So like, all you have to do is teach the lesson plan you're given and wait for the kids to show up. I mean, it doesn't get any easier than that. And you're making disciples, like, we're making, like, somebody came up to me in between the two meetings and said that they were having a conversation with their kids, and the one of the kids' response was, yeah, because we're supposed to be helping people love and obey Jesus. Like, they're learning that in this room, right? So, if you want to make disciples, volunteer within one of our structures to help. I mean, it's already, it's easy. It's so easy. Um, or here's another one that's pretty easy. Join the reaching team. So the team that's going out and serving in the community at Watered Gardens and the foster care system and stuff. I mean, there's something that you will learn about people and their need for Jesus that you will never encounter if you just stay within your little safe circle of friends. But if you go out into and interact with people who are homeless and who are just going through difficult circumstances, like you'll learn things about them and you'll see opportunities where you can bring hope in hopeless situations that you would have never had the opportunity to just by stepping out. And joining the team like that we have here is like, it's easy because there's already people doing it. You can just go along with them. Um, so that's one thing. Or here's another one. You can actually, without joining one of these teams, just identify and invite someone to be your disciple. You can say to them, as Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, follow me as I follow Jesus. Um, I would say if that's what you want to do, the first thing you need to do is start by praying. Like pray, pray, and then pray some more. And then when God reveals that person to you, like go and invite them. And, um, you know, if you read, if you read enough discipleship stuff and stuff on youth ministry and everything, like, they'll say that there's like this acronym for what makes a good disciple. And it says like, if you want to find a good disciple, find someone who's fat, F-A-T, um, because it's people who are faithful, uh, available and teachable. Um, so like be praying and asking God, okay, God, show me someone who's going to be faithful, available and teachable that I can invest my life into, um, and who I can teach to do that with other people. Right. So, uh, and identify and invite someone to disciple or just look for opportunities to share the gospel. And we were talking about evangelism earlier and we encounter people who don't know Jesus all the time. The problem is most of the time we're so busy with whatever we have on our agendas that we just pass right by and we don't realize it. Um, and if we just ask God to say, okay, reveal to me an opportunity I have to just share the good news of Jesus with someone today, um, then he will do that because their opportunities are always there. We just have to see them, right? So like, ask God to help us open our eyes and see that and then to be bold and faithful and to actually speak into those things. Um, and uh, Or the last one is get prayer, which I want to actually like do. 
right now. I want to use that to end the meeting as we pray. Because I think everything that we do, especially something like this, where we're called to continue on the work that Jesus started, um, we need to pray. We need to depend on him. We need to support each other in it. But most importantly, we need to just ask for his help. So what I'd like for us to do is to stand up and find some people around you, like three, four, five people, however many, I don't care. As many people as you want to pray with and just pray for each other in discipleship, like that we would do better at this and that we as a church would do better at it, that we as individuals. Anyway, so pray for each other for a few minutes and then I'll come back and pray and we'll close the meeting that way. Dear Lord, I just uh, thank you, Jesus, that you've called us to continue the work that you started. I thank you that you didn't call us and just leave us alone to do it, but you've empowered us with your Holy Spirit. You've given us some very clear, practical steps in how to carry this out, and but that you're with us in every circumstance. You're with us. You're walking alongside us. You want to see us succeed in this because this is your church that you're building. You want to see all come to know you. You want, I mean, that's really what you deserve, Lord. (laughs) You deserve every tongue to be confessing your name as Lord. And that's what we want to see. We want to see you get your reward for the work you did on the cross. We want to see people come to you and be your disciples, be your followers, be glorifying you and what they do. And so, Lord, we just ask for your help. I want to just acknowledge right now that we can't do this without you, that as a church, corporately and individually that we have all had successes and failures in this but really we just want to be obedient to you so open our eyes helps to see those who you'd have us invest in open our eyes to see those that you'd have us share your good news with and empower us through your holy spirit that we would be able to accurately and powerfully proclaim the good news of who you are and uh, help us to be students of your word pray that you would help us Um, just as we continue in our discipleship journey with you, Lord, as a lifetime of becoming more like you, just help us and um, help us to be a church that people look to and say, oh, those people love and obey Jesus, (laughs) and they help others love and obey Jesus. Like, that's that's really who we want to be, so help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.